Hey everyone, welcome back to Policy Punchline. Here at the show, we interview policymakers, scholars, business executives、uh, to talk about important issues in our world today. I'm Princeton Junior Tiger Gao.、Uh, today with me in the studio, we're talking about、uh, data and analytics, especially in f- sports and NFL. So, joining me in the studio right now is Mr. Iwao Fusilo, who graduated from Princeton in 1988 and is now Senior Vice President of Data Analytics and Insights at the National Football League, the NFL. So. Uh, he was previously the global head of data strategy and insights at American Express and the firm's co-head、uh, for M&A and business development. So、uh, we're super excited to to talk about sports data,、uh, business development in, in in NFL. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Fusillo. Well, thanks so much for、uh, for having me. And by the way, I've listened to many of your podcasts; they're absolutely <laughs> awesome. So, so thank you for doing this, just more generally.、Uh, of course, thank you. And, and, to, and also、uh, with me in the studio is my friend Arjumani, who is a junior in Princeton and also、uh, the president of Princeton's Data Science Society. And I think、uh, it'd be great for Arjun to join us and and bring some expertise when it comes to data and, and, and oh, I can't do this word analytics. You know, yeah. <laughs> Great to be here. Data、yeah. analytics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the president of the data society. You know, could pronounce the I word. I have that word down. Yeah.、Uh, so why don't we just、uh, start with,、uh, I guess, some of the the broadest question.、Uh, wh- sure. What do you do?、Uh, what What's the data analytics scene like、uh, at NFL? Sure, sure. So a、uh, little little bit of context.、Uh, as、uh, as you were saying before, Tiger, I was with American Express、uh, for about twenty years. I ran their data and analytics practice, and many of the、uh, processes, the procedures,、uh, even the people,、uh, I brought over to the NFL. And and we really have a three part focus at the NFL.、Uh, one is because. A substantial portion of our、uh, revenues, NFL revenues, come from long-term media contracts. So contracts with NBC, CBS, Fox,、uh, ESPN, etc.、Uh, we do a fair amount of analytic work,、uh, really business intelligence work around who is watching、uh, our game,、uh, when. So that's one big body of work. The other big body of work is around our fans. So、uh, not many people know that. Two out of every three people、uh, in the United States are fans of、uh, of the NFL. So it's about 179 million people,、uh, which is pretty staggering, right?、Um, with that comes a large set of data, fan data. We have about 50 million people out of the 179 who have chosen to give us、uh, their information,、uh, and they've chosen to do that. To get benefits, services,、um, relevant content,、uh, etc. So that's the second piece. The third piece is all about game data. So we have a a partnership with a company called、um, Amazon. I think many of you know Amazon. <laughs> I've heard of it.、Uh, Amazon AWS、uh, hosts one of our largest data sets, which is our game data. Every player. Uh, has an RFID chip uh, on uh, on their shoulder pads. Every ball has an RFID chip, so we know where every player、uh, is, every ball is, every moment of every game. And so that that is the third、uh, body of data that we use for a variety of、uh, of purposes. So hopefully that helps as a little bit of context. Yeah, absolutely. So so talking about this the second dimension of of data of the people who have、sure. opted in. Yeah.、Um, so. 
you know, as a user, let's say I opt into this into this program, um, and yes. so now you've collected my data. So how does that improve my personal experience? Sure. So it can improve it in a, in a number of different ways. Uh, one is if you like uh, a particular team. So often on registration, a fan will tell us my favorite team is whoever it is, Jets, Giants, Patriots, etc. That means every time you uh, show up to NFL.com or you open up our mobile application, we're going to provide relevant content to you. When is the next uh, game for your favorite team? Uh, we will provide through our partners, uh, Fanatics on the merchandise side, Tickets uh, would be Ticketmaster. We'll also provide you relevant offers, right, for your for your favorite team. Mm -hmm. uh, and so this is where you know, not not to get too into the vernacular here, but we have a first party relationship uh, with our with our customers, and and that's why we have such a substantial portion of our fans who have in effect opted in. Right. They've opted in to provide their insight and their data for better products, better services, better offers, uh, better treatments. Uh, I, I guess my question would be about the AWS part. I mean, sure. so AWS hosts the data. Uh, what if there's a potential conflict of interest some point mm. down the road? Because I know AWS also hosts, for example, Netflix, and Amazon has its own mm. streaming service, right? Amazon Prime. So uh, a lot of people say whether we yeah. should break up AWS from Amazon. I mean, live sports, it's such a big deal these days because that's that's something it Netflix is. cannot get into, right? Because people don't want to have just a library of the They want to they be on you know, Twitter or on NFL yes. to watch the, the sports live. That's the point of sports, and that's something, uh, you know, uh, Hulu has tried to do, but but not Netflix. So I wanted to hear your yeah. thoughts. You know, what if Amazon one day and be like uh, Amazon Prime Video? We're we're doing live streaming uh, nowadays. Do you see the the competition uh, that that? You know, Tiger, it's a it's a it's a great point. Uh, we we look at Amazon as a as a strategic partner. Uh, they have in many ways helped us uh, both on the data hosting side, the AWS cloud, uh, as well as I, th I think you can uh, you know that for Thursday night football, uh, you can actually stream live Thursday night if you're an Amazon Prime member. You can you can stream through your uh, Amazon Prime membership the, the live game. One of the things that we are uh, experimenting with uh, with with Amazon AWS is. They have incredible, as you'd expect, machine learning uh, and artificial intelligence, so ML and AI capabilities. And because they also coincidentally happen to host that giant <laughs> data set of RFID data on the players, we're starting to leverage their capabilities to help us in uh, both presentment of basic statistics about the game, how far did the ball go, uh, as well as more predictive statistics. What is the probability of a pass completion so that we can present that information uh, on broadcast TV as well as on, on Amazon Prime? So we haven't really yet thought about um, Amazon and AWS as a competitor and possibly someone to disintermediate us. So far, it's been more of a can we bolt on more and more services that actually make sense for us. Um, yeah, so ho hopefully that helps. It's a great question, though, and maybe something for us to keep in our minds as as we go forward. It, it, right, Com competitive equity is is always a <laughs> thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, with regards to the the collecting of the player data, I know that um, you know safety is becoming a big issue in, in, in the NFL, and, and it's something that the NFL I know is taking sure. very seriously. Um, is 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 that something where you see data analytics playing a role in improving safety for players? Um, 
It's it's a great uh, great question. It's a big point of focus uh, for Jeff Miller. So Jeff Miller is our EVP uh, of Player Health and Safety. Uh, Dr. Alan Sills is our chief medical officer, and Jennifer Langton is the the SVP, a colleague of mine who who runs Player Health and Safety. We have a very close partnership with uh, with Jeff and team. Uh, back to that that game data. If you look at, uh, for example, the changes we have made on the equipment side, if you look at the changes that we have made on uh, the rules side, those were all uh, completely data-driven. So let me give you some examples. With the data that we have around head injuries, we can correlate specific types of helmets as being more likely uh, to protect our players, right? We rate those helmets as green, right? We have a red, yellow, uh, green uh, rating system. Um, with that data, we can actually, through uh, the coaching staff and even rules, we can drive more and more teams and more and more players of the 1,700 players to wear green helmets and no longer wear red ones. In fact, red uh, helmets are now prohibited, right? And so you, you actually, as a player, you can't actually wear those. Second piece would be looking at specific types of plays. Are certain plays more correlated with injuries than others? And can we change a rule, in fact, to reduce injuries? And so what you've seen, uh, and this is all in the space of head injuries, we are looking to do lower limb. In head injuries, we are down, if you look at the 2018 season, where we uh, did both the equipment piece and the rule changes piece, we're down deep double digits uh, in head injuries. So we can't prove causality, right? We don't have a true test and learn experiment here, but it's, d it's a double digit decline. So highly likely both the rule changes and the equipment changes contributed to that. Um, I, I, I want to jump on with a question about the, sure. uh, the, the what's it called, an FID chip? Yeah, RFID the RFID chips. RFID chips. Um, cause, so I'm wearing this this sports band called Whoop. I don't know if you ever heard of it. I'm not familiar with that. So, so Looks this, pretty cool. Though, uh, yeah, so, so it's actually uh, the company was founded by a um, alumni from my high school, St. Paul School. So I went to boarding school in New Hampshire, and he played wow. squash uh, and, and went to Harvard to play squash there. And he ended up starting this sports band company. And basically what, what it does is uh, it tracks the, your heart rate and all that stuff, like, you know, Fabulous. Fitbit and stuff. Sure. It's like a Fitbit on, on steroids. But then you, <laughs> That's you, great. you get recovery score and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And, and their business model, an uh, interesting thing is that mm. sport teams uh, on campus like Princeton uh, would pay for the subscription for those sports bands. And then Makes sense. Every, every, for example, the, the girls lacrosse team on campus used to wear them. And okay. every single one of them, uh, so the coaches, the, the data gets transmitted to coach's uh, terminal. So the coach can, can tell yeah. how much did you sleep, uh, did you go out last night, and like, are you taking care of your body, how hard are you actually training during during the, the practice. Sure. And and there's a big protest uh, among the girls, and then yeah. they got rid of it like after, I think, a year or two or something. So they're not wearing it anymore. They're saying, I don't, I don't want my data to be collected and all that stuff. So I, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great point. Uh, I, I don't know. Do, 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 do any of the NFL players ever – Come up to you and be and be like, why? Why are we, you know, doing this? What are you doing with my data? And and um, what's kind of the future like when it comes to to the hardware pieces like that? I, I guess. Well, th there was an interesting article that ran this morning in the Wall Street Journal about Google, right? So Google uh, just recently announced that they're going to use individual uh, consumer patient information uh, as a means to develop better treatment recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. Which feels like the right thing to do. Like, why would anybody uh, protest that? Um, 
the reality is it it feel it feels to the average consumer a little creepy. Why is it yeah. that Google has my medical information? Well, for the NFL, it's the same way, right? Players may feel probably less so from a, a creepiness perspective, but could that same data set be turned on its head? And now suddenly coaches are using it uh, to evaluate performance. And I'm, am I going to be playing in that next game or not? So the reality is in our program, and again, this is really Jeff Miller, um, Dr. Alan Sills, and, and Jennifer Langton's program, is that there is so much low-hanging fruit in aggregate level insight, meaning what helmets are protecting uh, players or not, what are some uh, larger rule changes that we could make, that maybe there is a day in the future where it's individual level uh, almost digital twin type modeling. That may happen. It happens today in Formula One. In Formula One, every uh, Formula One driver, I believe, is instrumented. But again, it's not for player health and safety, it's for performance. Mm. You know, will that is that driver alert enough uh, to, wi you know, to, win, uh, to win the race, right? Yeah. So those, those sorts of things. Um, there, there may be a future in that. Uh, my belief is that fu future is probably pretty far off, that there is enough aggregate level insight to drive massive improvements in the game. And by the way, that could be shared at the collegiate level, right? Because many uh, of those insights ought to translate almost directly to college football. Mm. Um, and, and so that's that's the other piece that we're, we're thinking about is what are the broader applications to college football? What are the broader uh, insights that can be shared, for example, with uh, rugby? Right? Is rugby similar enough in certain aspects it might be right we can we can take a look at those things fascinating and and so with all with all the data that's that's going on it feels like every company is kind of slowly starting to become more of a, a data company or, or more of a tech company and, <laughs> yeah so that's for um, sure. <laughs> I, I mean could one say maybe the nfl is becoming even more of a of a, of a data-driven organization of a, of a data-driven company um are you seeing that kind of and i guess it to some extent sure. even leading that transformation um <laughs> do you think it is it, sort of like an evolution of what the nfl is already doing or do you see it as like kind of a revolution that is like poised to sort of leapfrog it's a great, um, great yeah. question, uh, Arjun. You know, in, in my in my mind, it's uh, it, the past two years. It's been a revolution. Mm. So I, I report into Chris Halpin, uh, also a Princeton grad. Uh, he's the chief strategy and growth officer of the NFL. He's supposed to be in the studio today with us. Uh, <laughs> he, he'll be coming soon. Right? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a separate podcast, including Chris. Uh, we'll twist his arm. Exactly. And Chris was on a two-year journey with both the executives of the NFL uh, as well as the owners of the 32 teams to say that we, we need a revolution in data and analytics. And it's not so much on what most consumers would think about the use of data and analytics, which is team performance. That's been there a long time, right? That goes back to the Billy Bean days and in, in, mm. in baseball, et cetera. Mm. But it's in running the operations, the three categories that we just talked about, right, in terms of the game, the fans, uh, and, and the media engagement. Those, those are really the three key pillars. Uh, Chris was looking for a revolution. Uh, and uh, not to toot my own horn at all, but what he was looking for was for somebody to come in from outside the sports industry. So financial services, telecom, the Googles or the Amazons, right? Uh, information services, advertising services, uh, healthcare. Bring somebody in who has done data and analytics at scale 
and revolutionize this thing in one to two seasons. And so that's what we've done. I think what we do from here is more of an evolution, right? So we needed that step function change uh, in, in embedding data and analytics in every business process of the league. But by the way, uh, we do trade notes with the USTA, the NBA, the MLB, uh, Major League Soccer, uh, and all sports leagues are undergoing that very same revolution. They are, they are ready to, to do it, which is great. Um, the evolution in, in, uh, uh, in, in some ways might, might be harder uh, to do, right? The, the uh, low-hanging fruit is often easier to extract. Um, but that said, you know, we've, we feel uh, quite good about what, what we've been able to accomplish in, uh, in two seasons' time. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you say that, you know, you, he wanted to bring somebody from the outside. So it mm. was the feeling was that, you know, sports is still not data driven in the same way that maybe the finance sector is or the healthcare sector is. Um, and yeah, yeah. I want to bring this quote that, that in an interview with the Sports Business Journal, you said, "Sure, quote, uh, most sports and entertainment companies are satisfied by taking a more traditional focus on game attendance, meaning ticket purchases and merchandise purchases yeah. as a measure of fan engagement, and they stop right there." So. Yeah, I, I guess do do. I guess that no longer characterizes the the today's NFL. Yeah, it it's, uh, it it was it was a big revolution for us, and we're we're trying to help the other sports leagues as as well. Uh, you're 100 percent right in 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 your insights there. Whether it's telecom, whether it's financial services, whether it's healthcare, to a certain extent, uh, retail uh, companies in those industries have been using data and analytics to drive their core business for for decades. Uh, I built the American Express data and analytics practice back in the early 2000s, right, a long time ago. Uh, and and uh, big data didn't even exist back then, right? You, the processing power didn't exist. Data storage was expensive. Now we live in a time where big data and big data capabilities uh, probably far exceed our abilities to use them to their maximum uh, potential. And so the idea, you know, back to both of your uh, questions, is is that many um, entertainment companies, many sports companies, were in fact satisfied with simply taking uh, either ticket purchases or merchandise purchases and saying, "That's all I need to know about my fans." Well, fans are core to the business models. Last time I checked, of every sports league, right? You need to continue to engage your fans. If you're only looking at ticketing purchases and you're only looking at merchandise purchases, you're missing 50% of the 360-degree view that you need uh, on your fans, which is who's watching your games on TV, <laughs> right? Uh, so Digital, you may have yeah. somebody who's never purchased a jersey, never purchased a ticket, watches every single game, right? And, and that's probably your most engaged fan and probably your biggest revenue opportunity as a sports league. So that was the innovation. We, we have a strategic partnership with Nielsen, which is the TV ratings company. They have a national panel that allows uh, all of the sports leagues to understand uh, in aggregate form who's watching their games. Through our strategic partnership, we were able to get to a very granular segment level insight, fuse that onto our database, and we now have a full 360-degree view of our fans. We are the only sports league uh, to do uh, to do just that. We're the only entertainment uh, company to do that. So uh, the U.S. Patent Office uh, on October 3rd actually granted us a patent on that 360-degree view, the end-to-end -end process. Uh, in fact, for kicks, for anybody who's listening, if you do a Google search for NFL Enterprises and patent, 
you'll get that patent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, I, I think we, our research team found that as oh, well. Oh, you found yeah. it. <laughs> You're very good. <laughs> um, no, uh, I t- totally. But I still wanted to hear, I guess, a little bit more thoughts from you about the more nuanced differences between how an NFL is doing it between uh, compared to MLB, uh, NBA, some of the other leagues. Yeah, and, and, and not to mm. sort of geek out a little bit here, but you know, if you could <laughs> like speak about maybe some of the models, the techniques you're using, that would be super cool. Like, or as much sure. as you can say, as much as you can say. Oh. <laughs> you know what? We're we're full disclosure. We're, we're, ha- we're happy to share everything and and anything. Here's the reality: the survey research says that the average sports fan is a fan of at least three sports. So if we can raise and elevate the experience uh, in in um, uh, a colleague league, it, it helps it helps everybody. Um, the te- the technique that we use uh, to evaluate and understand the different fan personas that we have uh, is k-means clustering. Uh, so not a particularly complicated technique. It is a machine learning technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, Those who do machine learning and artificial intelligence well don't only rely on the machine. And that's what I've that's what I uh, talk a lot about uh, to the other sports leagues is it doesn't it kind of doesn't matter what machine learning technique you use. You can use any of them. They're, They're all good. You need business people to evaluate the results. So I'll give you an example. We used K means clustering to identify uh, the different personas that we have within our fan base. K-means clustering came up with 20 different personas. For for us to think about 20 different personas is overwhelming, right? It's it's actually not an actionable insight. It's not it's not that helpful. If you can get down to seven to ten, that's very actionable. So that's the that's the business insight that you put on top, and you you redirect the machine, and you say, you know what? I don't want 20 clusters. I don't want 20 personas. That's not actionable. Get it down to seven to ten. And we can action that. We can action that at the league. We can action that for the 32 teams. So th- those are some of the the insights that we're just beginning to share with the with the other sports leagues. By the way, many of the other sports leagues are doing great things. We learn from them as well. Mm. So it's a two-way exchange. It's it's been terrific actually. Great. And and as part of the you know the NFL's push into data analysis, you're you're also um, you helped launch the NFL punt analytics competition, the NFL Big Data Bowl. And mm-hmm. these these kind of these crowdsourced competitions are are, are really fascinating, and, and um, we'd love to hear more details on these initiatives and how they kind sure. of relate to the league's bigger picture of of, of getting more data into um, into their operations. Well, here here's the here's the reality, and I was uh, uh, talking to uh, Ronnie over over at uh, the Orphe. He runs our uh, the Orphe program at Princeton, and what I said is, it's very difficult for a sports league to recruit top talent from great schools like Princeton uh, because we're not known for great data uh, and, and analytics. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, we'll get there someday, right? But it's a, it, it's something that we're, we're working towards. I, I don't uh, know, maybe Arjun, I, I doubt Arjun would get a first round interview. <laughs> <laughs> You're in. That's why I'm you here got, though. You get the first round interview. Um, so you know you 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 look at the landscape uh, in in that way, and you say, well, you know, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of an evolution. You know, we we do need to uh, think about how best to bring the best talent uh, in. So in the short term, you know, we do look that that's that's why, as an example, Chris had brought uh, me in from out, outside the industry. Uh, I I do think over time we'll bring the right talent in. 
and will be able to build uh, the in-house and institutional expertise. Um, yeah, so hopefully that helps. I'm not sure if that directly answers your question. No, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember during your lunch talk today, you were you were saying there, are like, I think more than a thousand teams in the big uh, data bowl. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. So we have one thousand three hundred and fifty three teams. Uh, part of that is we do want to tap into the best minds uh, uh, around the world uh, in in our competition. That that competition, in, in fact, is very interesting. It's all about uh, trying to predict the expected rushing yards uh, at handoff in any given play. If you do uh, a Google search for all the research that's been done on it, no one's actually been able to crack the code. It's a, an incredibly, incredibly difficult uh, challenge. For us, what we like about those marketplace competitions is we get to learn from 1,353 great minds around the world, uh, but it's also a way uh, to brand ourselves. Right, but, but I guess the the question, just taking a step back, my sure. question would be, if sports, uh, I mean, if so much data is involved <laughs> in sports, and I'm predicting, you know, how likely, what's the percentage of you know this player is going to make it to this touchdown, or how how um, how likely this receiver will will get the the, the ball. I mean, <laughs> won't people be like, oh, yeah, why are we doing that? You know, I want sports to just be sports. You know? <laughs> yeah, I don't want anybody predicting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why, why, why do do those sorts of things? We, we, we do it for for two primary purposes. Uh, one is if you look at the average TV broadcast, and and you'll start to see now you'll pay attention after listening to this podcast to the types of information that we provide to our fans when we show statistics like we believe there's a 70% chance that that pass will be completed, it's interesting for fans, even if the number is wrong, right? So if it's 70% chance and the pass is not completed, then the fan has something to talk about, right? The model said 70% and somehow it didn't get complete. Did uh, the player goof, you know? And by the way, it's the opposite as well. Okay, 2% chance somebody completed it. Wow, you know, how come is that player a superstar? It gives broadcasters something to talk about. So that that's uh, one of the, the the big elements. The other big element is, uh, you know, we're in a, a state, New Jersey, uh, where uh, sports betting has been legalized. Mm -hmm. And that's a very interesting uh, engagement proposition, probably less so for our traditional fans who want to preserve the integrity of the game and probably don't want to tie sports betting uh, to the game. But for our younger generation of fans, call it fans in the uh, 24, you know, 24 to 35 year old range, maybe 18 to uh, to 35, uh, it's it's a different form of engagement, right? We have very large proportions of younger fans engaged in daily fantasy, right? Um, and you're uh, probably uh, familiar with some of the free to play games that you're starting to see with NBC, with Fox Sports, um, different forms of engagement. So we're trying to use these predictive statistics as an additional way to engage uh, a generally younger uh, fan base. So we believe it's worth the investment. Uh, Amazon is with us in in many of those predictive statistics. So more to come. We're, we're pretty early in it. Mm. 
It's a, it's a fascinating idea that, that I mean, it's it's not like it's taking the, the fun out of the game. It's actually making the game more fun, right? It's, it's making like, the game more fun, yeah, more engaging. I mean, definitely, if I if I saw a model that had 2% chance of, of a pass completing, like that would give me something to talk about. It's like, ha. Huh, like, um, I'm curious whether, I, with, with all this profusion of data, it, 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 mm. um, do you see like specific teams in the NFL also using data, you know, perhaps to identify promising recruits from college, to design plays mm. and to predict outcomes of plays, maybe to to model how players would respond to a particular play, things like that. Um, mm. uh, do you, so do you see like more teams uh, themselves also becoming more data-driven in the kind of decisions they make? Uh, we, we do. Full, full disclosure, we at the league office uh, typically don't get involved uh, in that activity. We do provide the basic data sets. So the next-gen stats that we talked about, the player location uh, data, uh, all of the video uh, data that, that is all available post-game to each of the teams so that they can do their own analyses. We have certainly thought about, because we could do it if we wanted to prioritize it, we could start to develop insights, uh, Arjun, very similar to what you're talking about. The piece we want to be careful about is some teams do that analysis uh, very well. They've spent a lot of time, uh, energy, money uh, doing it. Other teams, less so, right? They have a very different focus. If we were to provide that, uh, teams who have spent the time and the energy and the money might say, listen, you know, I've already spent the time and the money. I don't want you giving, uh, essentially, in their minds, an unfair advantage, uh, league-funded unfair advantage to those teams. So what we're doing right now is really more on the data provision side. Make sure that every team, every club uh, has access to the same level of great uh, information, official data, right, from uh, from the league. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and But in your personal opinion, do you, how much of a difference do you think like this kind of data makes to makes to a team? Like, let's say you let's say you did give all the data you had to a team. Like, how, how much do you think that could improve uh, their prospects? So, uh, you know, we, we were just speaking with the athletics department exactly on, on this topic. Uh, part, it, it feels like a two stepper that you, you need the right players to begin with. Right. And so if you have the right high performing players to begin with, maybe that's a launching pad to where the data and the analytics start to uh, influence one team versus another, all else being equal, right, to, to perform uh, better. Um, hard for me to say, uh, just because, again, we haven't really engaged in that activity. Uh, when you do look at the different clubs, you get a general sense that those who are looking at the data, uh, spending the time on the recruitment and on the draft front, uh, from a data-driven uh, perspective, that is, um, they do seem, there does seem to be that positive correlation. Uh, but again, hard for, hard for me to say because we haven't really done anything, done any experimentation on that front. Uh, I, I remember during your lunch talk, you um, laid out a bunch of variables uh, for sort of models you guys use, uh, you know, whether it's for TV viewership and stuff like that. And I'm looking at the slides right now. Arjun, would you mind reading out some of the factors on there? I, I was super fascinated by this. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, so we got interest in club and players, um, com the other competitive programming, um, the week of the season. Even things like the presidential election year, these kind of these exogenous <laughs> factors, which is super interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about how you guys do those sure, things. Sure, yeah. sure. So when I when I joined the league a couple seasons ago, this was uh, one of our first projects. What we said is we've been around for all this time. Uh, you heard my my colleague uh, Hans Schroeder talk extensively about 
the importance of uh, media and media rights and understanding TV viewership. So he said, you know what, let's take a look at all of the possible factors that could be correlated with TV viewership. You'd be surprised to know that we looked at 526 different variables, 526. (laughs) And we narrowed it down to that short list of nine that, that you see. And what we concluded was the, the variables, uh, no matter what analytic t- technique you use, they fell into a few categories. Uh, one category was certainly about the game itself, so the in-game experience, how close was the game. Okay, well, that, you know, that's pretty clear, though what I would say is it was somewhat further down the list. The number one factor, which I think surprised a lot of the uh, folks in the lunch talk, was uh, essentially social engagement with a particular team and or a particular player, right? So the, uh, again, much to everybody's surprise, uh, Google has a publicly available data search, uh, data source, which is search results. And so you can look at, uh, on a relative basis, who, what teams are being uh, searched for more than other teams. That's the number one indicator in any given uh, week as to what, um, uh, uh, what matchup is more likely to draw uh, TV viewers than others. There are some more static uh, data sets. Like we, we do know with a fair amount of precision what is the fan base for each of the teams. And so large national market uh, teams, you can name them, right, are likely to bring in uh, bigger viewers. And then you have that exogenous category, the election year, right? If there is an election, if there is uh, the World Series, right? Playing opposite a game, it's likely to take viewership away. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty clear. Uh, and then, uh, uh, not to get back into sports betting, but uh, Vegas, what are the odds in Vegas? It doesn't have to be Vegas. It could be any of a million different sources on that particular team making it to the Super Bowl, right? All of that is all public uh, information. So it's fascinating and great information, as, as we heard Hans talk about, in choosing what game to air in what time window. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, so I, I personally do um, uh, do research in, in computer vision on, on campus, and so I wanted to ask this uh, specifically. Wow. I, I know that that you had briefly <laughs> mentioned... <laughs> Mr. Fazil is like, first, like, first round interview. I, I, I like that. Computer vision. I like that. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I know... I know um, I know you briefly mentioned uh, computer vision at, at the lunch talk yes. uh, and how you're kind of using that. So I'd, I'd love to hear more about you know what kind of things you're using computer vision for. And, and yeah. So I, I learned a fair amount about computer vision in my last uh, visit here to Princeton uh, from the uh, computer science department. And what opened my eyes up in a big way to computer vision is the technology is fairly advanced in processing still photos. Uh, and... and uh, in large part because the database of still photos is very vast and it's generally pretty available, right? Uh, Video, uh, using computer vision to parse video, right? So the act of somebody sitting down, in fact requires an enormous data set of video of people sitting down and of people not sitting down, right? You have to teach the model both uh, positive instances of that particular uh, act and, and you know, non-essentially uh, negative instances of that. Uh, and, and so that's what makes our particular application very interesting. 
we have, we believe, the largest repository of video uh, in the world, uh, probably in the sports world, certainly for football, clearly, somewhat obviously, but even in the sports world, because we keep all of the broadcasts all the way going back to 150 years ago in the first game, right? Wow. So in theory, we should be able to train the computer vision models to uh, understand different plays, to understand from a player health and safety perspective, are there different uh, things that we can do? Uh, and even to help uh, the officiating staff, right, that says, can we use computer vision coupled with that next-gen stats database to understand if somebody was offsides or not, right? We probably wouldn't use it as the source of record. Uh, I know the MLB is thinking about it from a strike zone perspective. I don't really see the NFL doing that, but could we make the human, the, offic the officials, more efficient? Yeah, I'm sure of it. So it's, it's very exciting for us. Uh, that, that said, the computer vision technology is still quite early in processing video. Um, so it will, it will be a number of years and a lot of hard work to get there. Uh, so to, to my understanding, uh, <coughs> I, I remember you showing us a video of uh, AWS, Amazon's yeah. uh, next-gen stats analytics video. It's like uh, when, when a player throws out the ball, yeah, you can sort of guess the probability. So I, I imagine those aren't computer vision per se. They're just more based on the chips that we talked about. That's, based on uh, that's right, Tiger. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. So there we're using uh, the base data set. Uh, of the player and ball locations, and not necessarily coupling it with uh, with the video. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Uh, <laughs> um, Arjun is like, I, I can't do this one. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> no, I, I think video. You might be is, able uh, to. <laughs> who knows? But that, it's it's a super super cool domain, and I, I a super unsolved problem as well, right? It I, is a it is a super unsolved problem. Yeah. Uh, it's on the verge, but look, if it were solved, then self-driving vehicles would be everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's a very hard problem to solve. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we'll you, get there, though. Do, do you think uh, your division is sort of actively, uh, I don't know the exact composition of your division, is it more like uh, there, there are also research people, or uh, mm. it's less about you know pushing the frontier when it comes to, to research, but more about taking the existing sort of information yeah. and, and processing them. I, I don't know. Yeah, so Tiger, it, it's much more in the land of practitioners. Uh, so the team that we've deployed uh, with our partners at AWS, they they are practitioners. So they, they know how to take um, what is a far simpler uh, application, which is, for example, the strike zone in, uh, in ML, MLB, uh, or tennis. Tennis is uh, much easier from a computer vision perspective. Uh, they're able to take those applications all the way through to media uh, presentment, as you saw today in the in the video during the lunch and learn. Um, so, you know, look, I, I think there's probably, Tiger, to your point, there's probably a research component as well. Uh, my thought, I could be wrong, but my thought is the biggest uh, advancement is going to be in teaching the existing models with just thousands and thousands of hours of video. I think that'll be the biggest advancement in the short term. Mm. Gotcha. Do, do you see yourself uh, or, or the NFL partnering with more tech companies or maybe universities and working with them to, to yeah. develop you know, more advanced computer vision technologies to, to deal with video? I, I could see that. I, I could see, uh, you know, we're starting with AWS, but look, there, there's so many uh, people that we've talked to that uh, have done some very interesting things in computer vision. So, you know, we, we do think the marketplace competitions will also help. And then just deep collaborations with universities like, like Princeton mm -hmm. uh, will, will certainly help us in the long run. 
Um, yeah, I, I, I guess, um, I guess going beyond um, just the models and the, and sure. the data stuff. I, I know you. I think you previously worked at J.P. Morgan, or was it? Uh, yeah. Um, so I spent about five years at J.P. Morgan and about uh, twenty years at Amex. Yeah, because because I know you are a also a business development guy. I guess deep down, <laughs> so you have. Uh, so, so I would love to hear your thoughts, just commenting on the trends. Uh, in the industry, mm. whether it's sport or entertainment, because um, I was listening to this podcast actually, Stratechery. Oh. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like a tech okay. news podcast, and, and they have a, two uh, really awesome American um, tech journalists hosting the podcast, and they talked about the whole strategic play by Disney, Netflix, ESPN, mm. and all that stuff. Because yeah. um, you know, I, I mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the show that sports is obviously live and people want to watch it live. Yes. It's it's less yeah. about, you know, me going back to the Friends episode, you know, a couple of years ago. <laughs> um so so I've been guilty uh, of that multiple times. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, exactly. <laughs> um so so uh and they were saying how news and sports are best live and mm. that drives the sort of the, the advertising and affiliate yeah, fees. For sure. And, and to that end this is sort of where ESPN plus comes in and sort of one yes. of the smartest yeah. moves that this Disney yeah. uh made in the last couple of decades is to acquire this sort of the sports rights, you know, going on this sort of buying binge and yeah. th- that is something that Netflix struggles to cannot tap into and and Hulu still struggles to so would love to hear your thoughts on commenting on on the sure. nature of the business and sort of how we see the landscape uh, landscape yeah. shaping up yeah uh, great uh, great context uh, by the way and great great question um, we we showed at the uh, the lunch session some basic viewership statistics right so again this comes back uh, to the Nielsen partnership that we have uh, and I think the the two games that we showed, they were regular season games, so there were no no great shakes. Uh, we had anywhere between 16 to 20 million people watching our game on any given minute of those two games. So that that's the it's AMA average minute audience. So in any given minute, 16 to 20 million people were were watching. Uh, that was uh, during a week where the World Series was also airing. Uh, and during that same week, this was World Series Game 5, right? So a pretty important uh, game, 10 million, right? Uh, which is pretty interesting. Back to the Netflix notion, uh, and I, I'm not a big uh, TV watcher, but I understand Shark Tank, um, NCIS, these are very popular shows uh, amongst the general public. They're in single-digit millions. Mm. Uh, if you look at the trends of households using TV, HUT, that's the industry term that Nielsen uses, uh, every year, the number of households using TV is in a single-digit percentage decline, right? It is a secular decline. Two years in a row so far, uh, the NFL is up uh, 5% a cool. year, right? There's no other program that you can think of that's been able to do that. It's back to what you're saying. It's live programming, right? It's the, it's the content and the quality uh, of, of, uh, of our games. That said... Back to your point on on uh, you know the the Hulu and the Netflix consumption patterns are changing. So what we don't want to do as the NFL is to say, well, you know what, this is a money train, and we'll just not do anything different. That wouldn't be a wise move because consumption patterns amongst younger fans is changing. They would rather stream the game than watch it uh, on on a big screen. Yep. So we want to make sure that we've got the right product, the right uh, engagement model with our next generation of fans. And that's where we're doing a lot more experimentation. That's where you heard Hans talk 
extensively about different ways to present uh, the game. And you're going to see more and more of that over time. Absolutely. And I think now that the game is, is um, to a large extent, expanding globally, like even, even yes. beyond the U.S., and, and the yeah. fan base definitely is expanding globally, does that present new challenges and, and new opportunities as well for, for data to be used uh, to appeal to a wider global audience? Uh, it, it does. It does. And one, one of the things that we're beginning to do uh, through that giant database of fans, the 50 million uh, database that we have, is to look at what, uh, who are the fans in the internet, because it's a global database, right? W when we look at, for example, fans in the UK, what are their favorite teams, mm -hmm. right? Fans in Mexico, who are their favorite teams? And can we look to those teams to help us engage. All right, so when we do general uh, marketing from an NFL perspective, it can sometimes fall flat with our fans because you're generally not a fan of the NFL, the league, right? You're a fan of a particular team. And so we're starting to use data in a big way to begin to understand the personas of our international fans. Uh, the other piece that uh, Hans talked extensively about is we have a product called Game Pass International that allows on a recorded basis for folks in the UK, in Mexico, in China, etc., to watch our games. And again, if we look at the consumption patterns in those data sets, because we have all the data, we can start to ascertain how do we figure out how best to market to them, how to talk to them, how to engage them. And I guess when it comes to the, to the question of disruption, yeah. uh, I mean, NFL is something that, that is not, it's not that we're say, saying that the TV business is being disrupted by, by Netflix. Right. I, I don't think people yeah. say that the NFL business is disrupted by people per se, because just because yep. you've got this sort of direct-to-consumer, direct-to-fan right. connection. And, yeah. and the fact that you have that massive video footage, you have that database, yes. the sports rights, that's what's such a valuable business. Absolutely. Got you. Absolutely. Uh, uh, but do you see disruption in that sense? That I mean, in mm. any sense at all? I mean, what's uh, what do you wake up every morning being worried about? What are the executives thinking about every day in terms of potentially sure. uh, getting you know out of business? Yeah. Yeah, being disintermediated. We 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 probably don't wake up uh, in a cold sweat about being disintermediate, yeah. just given the size and the scale. <laughs> uh, um, there, you know, there are some, some structural things that we're trying to stay ahead of. Uh, so if we were to look at uh, a projection, it's a made-up projection, right, of our fan base over time, uh, we do believe it will increase over time. Uh, but it will increase with almost uh, uh, an aging population, right, that because we have a generally uh, older fan base, and if you look at the U.S. Census, the U.S. Census is projecting that, uh, you know, those people over 45, 55, you know, 65, uh, that population will increase over time because of the baby boomers, right? Uh, we're not resting on our laurels because of that. We want to make sure that the 12 to 24-year-olds are engaging with us in a variety of different ways. And that's why we're trying to uh, put out there a bunch of different ways for those um, 12 to 24 year olds to engage in our games, whether it's uh, streaming, you know, it's the, uh, the daily fantasy, um, et cetera. Um, here, here's the other piece that's absolutely fascinating. If you look at the number of um, followers of the NFL um, in the US, it's about 50 million. Okay, if you look at the number of followers of our players, it's 333 million. 
Wow. Right. So and so that is that next generation of fans. And so what we're saying is if you look at the types of engagement from the 12 to 24-year-olds, it's less so about the game and it's much more so about players. And when they engage in topics about players, only one out of four of the four topics is about the game, game highlights, of course, right? The other three topics are not about the game. It's health and wellness, it's philanthropy, right? It's other things about that person. So we need to, we, we need to evolve. We need to evolve our business model. If we wanna be relevant with that 12 to 24 year old population as they age over time, we, we need to engage with them, we believe, through social and we believe through players. And so we are now uh, partnering with, so as an example, just let me give you an interesting statistic. We have 1,700 players, uh, as you probably know, in the NFL. 483 out of the 1,700 are active in the, in the social arena. So it just tells you how we're evolving uh, the communication model to, to that younger group of fans. And it's pretty cool. Uh, what about esports uh, or, or things like that? You know, do, do, do you are you worried in that sense? You know, it's uh, I, I would say it's it's certainly a phenomenon we're we're staying very close to, uh, and you're right. It could be again. I'm not sure it would be a large disintermediator um, because it could in many ways be complementary, right? That that same 12 to 24 year old who will watch the esport may also engage with a particular player uh, you know, through the social media, may tune in because their favorite player posted a highlight, right? And so we, we think um, if, if you look at the type of consumption, uh, digital consumption, uh, and the number of hours per day, you know, I look at my daughter who's uh, 16, the number of hours per day that she's spending on the phone, it's enormous, right? So we don't, we don't think it's one versus the other, we think it's you know quite a quite a complimentary. Oh, I just came up with a, a, a new <laughs> question. I mean, then would you say that social media mm. or or those kind of um, whatever platforms you may have, or, or actually even the hardware, the phone itself, the screen, yeah. that's what's controlling the fate of NFL in that sense? I don't know. Like like you the, know, the, it uh, it very well could be. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's the hardware, but certainly it's the, uh, the social media. It's the social media. So what we've done, we just hired uh, a new CMO, as you probably know, Tim Ellis, who comes from Activision, right? So going back to the eSports piece. Uh, and he just hired uh, a, new SV, a new SVP of influencer marketing, mm. right? Because we know that this is the future trend. Policy punchline, you know, like just uh, hire us. <laughs> <laughs> our target audience. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, look, uh, and his name is Ian Trombetta. What Ian is doing is he has a whole team dedicated to building content that the players can use. They don't have to use it, but not every player uh, – well, I'll give you a crazy example. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on Twitter or anything, but I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm a fairly active user of, of LinkedIn. I'm not particularly adept at creating content, right? So – Whenever uh, folks on my team create content, I repost it, 
right? Because it's it's an it's an it's a layup for me. Uh, we're trying to do the same things with the 483 active players. Some players are naturally great at it. They create awesome content, right? They're throwing a ball around in a mall and it's hilarious and it's cool. You know, not every player is doing Trendy, it that yeah, way, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, tra- you know, a million people view the thing. That's great. You know, that's great. So we, we're trying to evolve the business model over time. We're betting heavy on that one. Uh, in fact, if you look at our Super Bowl ad, it was the most viewed Super Bowl ad, I think, ever. And we attribute some of that to the social marketing we did before and after uh, that ad aired, which is interesting. Dude, I'm scared, man. Like Mark Zuckerberg and all the, all the, all the. I, I don't feel good about any of this. You know? We're talking about Google. We're talking about oh, Facebook. Yeah. I don't know, man. They're taking away the football. I know. No, I'm excited. I think this is a great future. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 yeah, I think this has been a fascinating conversation so far. A, a lot of things that I've never thought about. Arjun, do you have any more technical questions from your, uh, from your perspective of data science for, for? Anything we're missing out? Here? Um, <laughs> I don't think I do, but I, I'm I'm just I'm just fascinated about like the kind of problems that are that you know can be solved, right? There's a lot of yeah. really deep technical questions that you can really attack with these kind of data sets. Um, uh, and are, like as you said, like given the size of the of the data sets, there's sure. uh, there's so much opportunity to train these models, which already need like huge amounts of data. M- Mr. Fasilo was just, was just <laughs> saying how you know so many people focus on the players and not the mm. league itself. I think you, Arjun, you might be one of the only people who's actually caring about the league and the <laughs> data operations rather than no, the I'm players a, I'm themselves. A, I'm a staunch 49ers fan. You can't even They're doing well this year. You can't even name three it's football teams. I bet you. You are fake you, football. You fan. take that up. 49ers, Seahawks, oh, Giants. <laughs> This is what fandom is all about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, no. But I, I, I certainly think this is one of the, the best uh, interdisciplinary conversations we've ever had. I mean, sports, data analytics, business models. So and, much fun. Uh, and, and, and social media and that stuff. I mean, uh, this is amazing. Yeah, we, we should totally continue the dialogue uh, sometime down, down the line in the future and see uh, what else happens at, at the NFL. Uh, yeah. So thanks so much for joining us today, Mr. Facillo. Absolutely. Well, I, I'll, I'll leave you with uh, one because uh, you you guys, I, I was surprised you didn't ask me about data oh, privacy. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. And so I will. Uh, I, ah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so a little bit of a controversial uh, thought. So so clearly, uh, the league. You know, I come from American Express, a very privacy friendly uh, uh, company. If you looked up the patent, which it sounds like you did in the name uh, itself is privacy preserving, consumer privacy preserving. Um, one of the predictions I have over time, and it's a little bit uh, controversial, is that this whole uh, business model of using third party and selling third party uh, consumer information, I think in the medium term that entire business model goes away. Uh, and And so if you look at Companies uh, like the NFL, where we only deal with first-party data, they will largely be unaffected. If you look at companies like Facebook, who a core part of their business model is uh, acquiring and then reselling consumer information. If you look at companies like Adobe, uh, Blue Kai, whose entire business model is reselling consumer information. Uh, I think consumers are waking up in a good way. We're, we're huge supporters of, uh, of that uh, uh, to transparency. And if I don't want a third party uh, selling my data, then I, I should have the right to uh, prevent that. And so I, I think companies uh, like 
the, again, NFL, American Express, others who have first-party data will be largely unaffected. Those in the space, uh, Google actually has an extremely large first-party data set, right? So they may be, again, largely unaffected. But I think there could be quite a, a landscape shift uh, in, in the coming years. So does the NFL, because I, mean, I imagine, you know, it could theoretically maybe be useful for the NFL to also incorporate third-party data from from other sellers. Is that something the NFL does, or, or does it work mostly with its first-party data? Uh, we, we work uh, with both. Okay. So we work with first-party data where it's clear the consumer clearly understands uh, uh, the relationship that we have. When we use third-party data, we never use a one-to-one -one match. So there's never any personal information that is used in taking the insight from a third party and uh, and extrapolating it a la the Nielsen example, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so we try to stay very, very above board on that. The litmus test that we use is if you were in the shoes of the consumer and it felt creepy to you, then we're not going to do it. Mm. We're just not going to do it. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I think that's great. So <laughs> yeah, so it's a you know look, it's a little bit of a contrarian view. Yeah. Um, but uh, you asked me, sorry for a policy punchline. So so for for me, the policy punchline uh, is it's a little bit of context, and we talked about this at the lunch a little bit. The land of big data didn't exist back in the days that I built a data practice at American Express. Right. Mm. It now exists. It gives us almost infinite possibilities to do great things with all of our business models. So big data, it's very exciting. It's very dynamic. It's also highly cluttered and highly confusing. On the train uh, ride coming up here, uh, I looked out the window. I was at Elizabeth's uh, station, I think. And New Jersey City University had a sign that said, uh, learn how to make big dollars from big data. And what that brought me back to was right before the financial crisis when I was in a taxi and uh, the taxi driver was giving me investment advice. I said, you know what? Big data has gotten too big and it's too broad <laughs> and we need to, you know, we need to be very focused. So any company I talk to, any student I talk to who's trying to get into the land of big data, big data is big and that's great. Uh, the key to success in big data is stay focused on two to three of your highest return initiatives, and then you will do big data well. If you try to do big data in every one of your business processes, you will fail. Mm. You will absolutely fail. That's the policy punchline for me. Fascinating. Do you, like, want, do you want to respond to that, Arjun? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think that's a, that's a great thing. I, I feel like a lot of, like with big data, I feel like a lot of... Um, Companies now are kind of solutions looking for a problem, right? You have yeah. this, you have, you know, you have for all this sure. data and you have all this, all these algorithms, and it's like now, what problem can we apply it to? And I feel like, as NFL seems to be doing, if you apply it problem first to actually see like problem what tangible first. problems are we solving and how can we incorporate big data to actually solve those problems, that provides a lot more fruit in the end. I feel like yeah. it really does. I'm going to borrow that one. Problem first. All right, <laughs> that's that's uh, that's my new punchline for our, for our next policy punchline episode. Well, that next time we do it, so we'll we'll have that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today again, Mr. Fasillo. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, really loved it. Yeah, fantastic yeah, conversation. That, that was a fantastic yeah. conversation. We haven't learned uh, so much. Had uh, such a you know as I mentioned previously, such an interdisciplinary dialogue for <laughs> for a long time. So um, yeah, and to our 
listeners, uh, thanks so much for following us. And um, while you watch uh, NFL, maybe start thinking about data and stuff and follow us on policypunchline.com, uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, and, and hopefully we'll see you uh, next time. Thanks so much for listening today. You've been listening to Policy Punchline, a podcast generously supported by the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance at Princeton University. We would also like to encourage you to follow other podcasts produced by Princeton University, such as Politics and Polls by the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Policy Punchline is intended to be informational only and does not reflect nor represent the views of Princeton University or the Julius Rabinowitz Center for Public Policy and Finance. For more information on subscription, donation, volunteering, or contact, please visit policypunchline.com. Thank you again for listening.